So today's message, I've titled it, The Hope of Christmas, and John will get there in a minute, Past, Present, and Future. The Hope of Christmas, Past, Present, and Future. You've probably heard of the, gro- go- the gross, the ghosts of Christmas past, right, and present and future. Was that the Scrooge movie? How many, how many versions of that are there? There's got to be a hundred of them. 37. You really know that? That wouldn't surprise me, Mary. I don't know why. <laughs> well, this me- message is not about ghosts at all, unless you want to consider the Holy Ghost. It's about Christmas, or the day that we celebrate the Lord's birthday. How many can say amen to that? Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And today I want to begin a three-week series that looks at the hope found in Christmas and how that impacts our past, our present, and our future. That's where I get this title. So what led up to that day that the Holy Spirit chose a virgin named Mary and told her that she was going to be the mother of God? Can you imagine that? You're laying in your bed and and all of a sudden an angel appears. And I'm guessing in the, uh, that first century, the middle of the night, all of a sudden you see some big dude standing there over you, you're probably going to freak out. And what did he say? He said, oh, don't be afraid. <laughs> well, that helps. He's got this giant angel there. And then he begins to tell her, God chose you. Oh, can you imagine? Can you imagine being Mary? God chose you to be the mother of his son. Wow. What a privilege. What an honor to think about that. The son of God was going to be born on this planet. I want to talk about today, does the Old Testament show us anything about this event? Does it talk about Christmas or the day that we celebrate his birthday? And if it does, how accurate was it in predicting the events that it said would come to pass? And I'm not going to share everything this week because then you wouldn't want to come back next week. But I've got some interesting statistics that I'm going to share next week as a result of this. Finally, how does the birth of that child influence you and me? You know, this is the miracle of Christmas. It's how Jesus Christ influences us. How he impacts us. And what do we gain from knowing his story? It's very important to understand all there is about the Son of God. Where he began, how he began, and the results of all of that. We're going to begin by going back then we're going to move to the present and then on to the future. And I want to conclude with what the Lord has in store for us in the future, and that'll be in a, in a few weeks. So let's look at Christmas first. How many know everything there is to know about Christmas? Nobody's saying anything. So if, if you Google Christmas, <laughs> when did Christmas first begin? You might be surprised at what pops up. Can I say this, and I, I wanted to start with this today, and it, you already know this, hopefully. 
All right, John, I'm not, oh, I've got to turn it on. It's not your fault. There we go. How's that? Not everything on the internet can be trusted. I know. I'm just figuring this out. So if you're preparing your message, and, and you've got a really good thing in your head and in your heart, and you say, I'm just going to go and see what Google says. Well, you better be careful because it's not all truth. <laughs> Can I get a good amen on that? You need to know your websites. All right, Who operates those? Who's behind them, in other words? Because they're not all pro-Jesus. In fact, to the contrary, many of them are anti-Christ. You hear that, right? So be careful where you peruse your information. <laughs> Amen. That said, there are many popular stories about the December 25th date and how it was chosen as the day of Jesus' birthday. We call it Christmas. And one story that seems to pop up a lot, and again, I'm not condoning this, I'm just saying this is one of the stories that are out there, is that in the 4th century, Pope Julius I chose December the 25th as the Lord's birthday. Alright, so this is 4th century, like 385 uh, A.D., something like that. And it's commonly believed that the church chose that date in order to compete with a heathen celebration that was going on at the same time, and that was known as Saturnalia. The Saturnalia Festival. And that was described as a festival in Rome where it was just one big party for like about a week or so. Everybody became part of that. The, the beer had fermented, so they had plenty of alcohol. They didn't want their animals to go through the whole winter because that'd mean they'd have to feed them, so they slaughtered a lot of their animals for meat for the winter. So they had everything. They had the food, they had the beer, and they had all the other stuff that went with it. That's what the festival of Saturnalia was all about. And supposedly this uh, pope decided, hey, we need to come up with something that will pull our believers in so that they won't feel left out. <laughs> and they came up with Christmas. Whether this is true or not, we don't know exactly. It's also been suggested that the word Christmas comes from Christ's Mass. So the church wanted to have Holy Communion, the Eucharist, on the very beginning of the day, so they would have a midnight Mass that they called Christ's Mass, and it, eventually it was shortened to Christmas. Is that true? We don't know for sure. All right? Another one felt that Jesus was conceived and that he died on March the 25th. Now, here's the thing. Our calendar's changed since then. It's different today. And I'm not going to go into all that. You can look that up on your own. Just when you Google it, be careful where you're at. But they felt like Jesus was conceived on March the 25th, or what would have been the equivalent of that, and that he also died on that same day. And if you do the math, nine months later would be December 25th. Thank you, John, for joining me today. 
You got one brother in the church listening. Or can do math. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Whether or not that's true, we don't know. Here's the truth. We do not know the exact date of Jesus' birth. In fact, we don't even know the year that he was born. It could be 4 B.C., 2 B.C., and remember that calendar shifted. That's why it's, it's saying before Christ, but it's because our calendars aren't the same as they were then. But somewhere back in there, he was obviously born. All right? <clears throat> Here's another little tidbit. It was said that the early church fathers didn't like to celebrate people's birthdays, including Jesus. And here's why. They felt like your real birthday, your true birthday, was the day that you gave your life for the Lord in martyrdom. Wow, now that's a birthday to celebrate, right? One minute you're here, the next you're with your Jesus in heaven, rejoicing. Wow, what a birthday party that would be. Amen? Some claim that December the 25th couldn't be the date that our Lord and Savior was born because there were shepherds in the fields. And, and this, is, this comes from Luke 2.8, which I'll share in just a minute. However, if you're a real sleuth, an investigator, you'll discover that, well, they did shepherd their sheep in the winter. And, and we have proof of this back in, way back in Genesis Chapter 31, verses 38 to 40. I just have them up behind me. I'm not going to actually put up the Scripture. Here, Jacob was taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. And he did this for 20 years. All right, And during that 20 years, verse 40 describes that there was frost on the ground when he was out shepherding his sheep. What does that mean? Hello? It's cold, right? And this community where he was at, Haran, is actually way north of Bethlehem. So it would have been even colder where he was at than, than where uh, Bethlehem was at. So we can deduce from that that it was possible that the shepherds were in the field back in Luke 2.8. In fact, I wanted to put that up real quick just as something Christmassy, since we're talking about Christmas. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, and they were guarding their flocks of sheep. So, could this have happened on December the 25th? Yes, it could have. Here's the bottom line. The date that we celebrate Jesus' birth really doesn't matter. What is important is the fact that he was born to a virgin named Mary. Just as the angel predicted they would. And Mary and her husband, later, Joseph, became his parents. So Joseph would have been his stepdad, of course. But they took care of this young man, or this baby, from birth until he was old enough to leave the nest. Later, we see that Jesus was called the carpenter, so we know that he 
took up Joseph's trade, right? Listen, after Jesus grew up and ministered for that few years that he was here on the earth, he then went to the cross for you and me. That's the important part of this whole story, is that he came to do something specific. It was God's plan for him to do so, and he carried that plan out. And as a result of him dying, being buried, and rising on the third day, as a result of that, you and I also have the promise of eternal life in heaven with God forever and ever and ever. When this heart gives out, we're going to be with Him. We're going to celebrate our new birthday in heaven. How many can say amen to that? Hallelujah. Unlike what we find on the internet, the words of God found in the Bible can be trusted. The Bible was written by approximately 40 men over a period of some 1,500 years. That's a long time to write a book. The Old Testament, that is the first 40 books of the Bible, those are what Jesus and the disciples quoted from over and over and over. Paul quoted the Old Testament prophets over and over and over. What does that tell us? If the Old Testament was good enough for them and they trusted it, you and I can trust it as well. If Jesus trusted the Old Testament, we can trust it as well. All right? And, and I think, regretfully, in the church today, too many skim over the Old Testament only to jump right into the New. And listen, I'm all for it. It's kind of like going to the conclusion. It really is, because all those years prior to Jesus coming, that's history. That's His story. And that's what I really want to look at over this next few weeks, is how Jesus impacted our world from the very beginning. This is good news. Amen? Amen. I wanted just to show a couple of scriptures from the New Testament that talk about this. That should have been uh, 2 Timothy. Somehow the two got dropped off. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Now that's one. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So these are kind of the two pivotal Scriptures that we use as our foundation just to say this, the Bible can be trusted. It's God's holy writing to us. And we can put our faith in it, in what it says. Alright? Did you know that Jesus coming as our Savior 
was actually predicted in the Garden of Eden. Hmm. Now, he wasn't named. It doesn't say, and Jesus. No, I want to show you what I'm talking about here. He's not named, but just after Eve and her husband Adam eat from the tree of good and evil, the Lord laid down what was going to happen next. Or, should I say, what was going to happen in the future. I want to go back there. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, if you have your, your Bibles. And while you're turning there, the skinny of this passage is, since we don't have time to look at everything going on here, Satan took on the form of a, a serpent, a talking serpent. It, how many here, if you saw a talking serpent, you might freak out? Apparently, this was just some normal thing back then. I don't know, in the Garden of Eden, because it didn't seem to even bother him. And he, he had this conversation with Eve first, and then she convinced her husband Adam to sin. What I want you to see here is this is the beginning of the end for the relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. And they knew it after they ate from the fruit. You see, the devil convinced them that it was going to lead to them becoming like God. And in a sense, they did, because now they knew good and evil. But what they didn't realize is that it was going to drive a wedge between them and their Heavenly Father. We pick this up where God normally walked in the garden and, and he would have conversation with his kids. Only on this day, when, and, and, and certainly he knew this because he's God, but on this day he came into the garden and Adam and Eve weren't anywhere to be found. They were hiding because they knew they'd done something wrong. They were shamed. And they didn't know what to do, so they hid. And we pick this up with God saying, where are you? <laughs> oh, we're over here behind the bush, Lord. Uh, why are you guys hiding from me? Oh, oh well, what was it? Because we're naked. See, they didn't even realize that before. Now all of a sudden they realize, uh-oh, Chango, we're naked. We don't want God to see us naked. Too late. He's already seen us. He knows all. He sees all. You can't hide yourself from him. But in this case, Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. He figured it out real quick. And he said what? Who told you? Who told you? <laughs> and they're both like, oh, well... And, and it's really kind of interesting, and I'll let you go back there and read it, but the woman throws the devil under the bus. Then Eve's husband, Adam, throws her under the bus. In other words, nobody took responsibility. <laughs> That's kind of how it went down. And, and this, as a result, this is what God said, beginning in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, 
And he picked on him first. It's kind of like hierarchical. Satan caused the, the distress to begin with, so this is where he began. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live, and I will cause hostility. And, and this word, hostility, another word that's similar is enmity, and it's a war term, meaning that there's going to be war between Satan and humanity forever, all right? Between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. offspring. He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. Now, it's important to point out here this word offspring. The original actually says seed, all right? S-E-E-D, like a, like a seed, like a wheat seed or something that would germinate, all right? Does that make sense? And it can be either singular or plural. So when you say seed, it can be a seed or it can mean all seed. You, you don't have to have an S on the end. And, and this is important because we have to figure out who is God relating to here? Who is he talking about when he says seed or offspring? I wanted to share just a little bit here. And by the way, either one makes sense. But I'm convinced that Jesus is the intended seed. Singular. All right? And, and one of the, the places that I grabbed from this the New American Commentary says this about verse 15. It says, Christian interpreters showed a mixed opinion on this. Justin and Irenaeus, and they were two forefathers that are highly respected, they interpreted that the woman of 315 as the Virgin Mary by drawing a parallel with Eve. And so if, if Eve is the forerunner to Mary, what would that mean? The seed would have to be Jesus. The seed would have to be Jesus. Now, some of the fathers, such as Christostom, they thought that this struggle was between Satan and humanity. Others felt like, well, maybe, but how about humanity or the church? That this was talking about Satan's war with the church. And it could be either one, right? Either one would make sense today. But I still want you to understand that I feel like, and, and I'm going to explain why, I feel like it was Jesus that's being referred to here because of this. It says, and I quote, He will strike your head. By the way, that's a lethal blow. Right? And you, the serpent Satan, will strike his, the seed of Eve's heel. And we see that immediately when Jesus begins ministry, when he goes out in the desert and he has that contest with the devil, and of course he won. And we also see it at the cross. The devil thought he was going to get the lethal blow on Jesus, but did that happen? No. Jesus got the lethal blow on the devil. A mortal blow, if you will. And that's why I feel strongly that this seed that's mentioned here, or this, uh, what's the word they use here? Offspring. That this is referring to none other than Jesus Christ. Hang on just a second. 
I got to parch my thirst. Quench my parch. How's that? Woo! If we look ahead, we find confirmation of who this person is in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And this really goes into a little more than, than necessary, but I wanted you to see. Because God's children are human beings. Say, that's me. All right. Made of what? Flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. That's that mortal wound right here who had the power of death. So Jesus took the devil out in a sense. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Isn't that good news? You and I don't have to fear death. And many of us are right there knocking on the door, aren't we? Some of you are really young, enjoy life, but there's going to come a day, and the closer you get to that magic number, whatever that looks like for you, the more reflective you become, and, and you're always thinking, What's it going to be like? Did I, did I live my life the way I should have? Is God going to say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant? All these thoughts go through your head the older you get. Amen? Some of you older people? You agree? There's way more going on here in Genesis 3 than meets the eye. Again, originally, Adam and Eve, they would have lived forever if God hadn't kicked them out of the garden. What was in the garden? The tree of life. What's in heaven? The tree of life. So once again, we're going to get to eat from that tree when we get into the next life, and we'll live forever. That was God's original plan. And God also planned that Adam and Eve would populate the earth with their seed. That's found in Genesis 1.28. But because of Satan's clever subversion, mankind would not be able to live forever and would go back to the dust where he had originally come from, where God had formed him from. The devil, on the other hand, he was going to have to eat dust as a continual reminder of what he did to the people of God. Hear this part. God cursed the devil and the ground, but he did not curse Adam and Eve or their offspring. Why is this important? If God had cursed us, there'd be no hope for us. If God had cursed Adam and Eve, their seed would also be cursed. And in, in a sense, if you, if you follow uh, my logic, if this is Jesus that's being spoken of here in, in Genesis 3, if that's truly Jesus, then God would have been cursing himself. And that can't happen. God can't curse himself, right? So it's important to understand and to see this And what this means for us. 
What can we gather from this? God loves his people. And he doesn't want us to be cursed. This also shows us that it was always God's plan to be restorative. And we use the word in the church, redemptive, because Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. But God had a plan right from that very start, right there in the Garden of Eden, to redeem us from this curse. That's good news. When God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, they probably felt they were finished. They were already hiding in the bushes. They probably thought, you know what, all these promises that God's given us, that we've talked about while we walked with Him in the garden, all those promises are, are done and nil. He probably doesn't want us to flourish any longer. In a modern context, it may seem as we face all types of calamities in these, in these days, COVID-19, you know, riots breaking out in our streets, nobody really knowing what's coming next, it might seem like there's no hope for us anymore. There's no hope. And, and I don't know, maybe... Somebody in this room, maybe somebody watching today feels like, you know what, I just, I don't even know if I want to go on anymore because I feel so empty. I feel like there's no reason to. But the truth is, God has already made a way where there was no other way. I want to jump ahead just briefly to look at Isaiah 43. This is from the TNIV, and it says, Forget the former things. And he was, he was speaking to the people of God, the Israelites, but I believe that this transfers into this generation as well. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness. It streams in the wasteland. You know, as I read this, the first thing that comes to my heart is just forget about it. How many have done something wrong? How many have sinned against God? How many have sinned against your, your wife or your husband or your children? All of us should be raising our hands. None of us are exempt. Forget about it. It's under the blood. God's doing what? A new thing. <laughs> a new thing. And that new thing, I love this word, it says spring up. What does spring up mean? Quick. Quick. Like, pew. it's not going to take years and years and years. In an instant, Something new is going to spring up. Who do you think or what do you think Isaiah the prophet, speaking for God, was talking about here? There is only one solution. He was directly inferring our Savior Jesus Christ, the Messiah. 
what seemed a wasteland. Maybe in your life, what seems, maybe you're living right now in a wasteland, in a desert place, and it just seems like no life can grow there. Well, I believe what this is inferring is that once again, similar to the Garden of Eden, you're going to see life and life in abundance. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this new life comes. It springs up in you. And I'm a perfect example of that, and many of you are as well. The old guy, oh man, I wanted, talk about a desert in a dry place. I couldn't have been much worse than I was at that tender young age of 23. And that's where I cried out because I had no hope, I had no future. In my heart, I was done. Dead and done. And then that new thing sprung up in me. That brother came to me and said, let me tell you about somebody who can help with that. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. (laughs) And I just listened to him, and I just said, wow, tell me more. And that next night, I prayed the sinner's prayer. What we call the sinner's prayer. I asked the Lord to forgive me of my sins and to make me a new person. He met me right where I was, and instantly, instantly, a new thing began inside of me. A new work. The Holy Spirit was here in this man. He was fertilizing what was inside of me. And I changed instantly because of the grace of God and His tender mercy. That new way is found in God's Son, Jesus Christ. He is the new, the springing up. He is the new way, truth, and life. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but through me. And as we come toward the end of this message today, and I wanted to uh, play this song, but I couldn't get the, uh, the license for it. I couldn't find it today. So I apologize. But you can go to YouTube and look this up. And it's actually a song by Don Moen, and I've got it up behind me. Uh, God Will Make a Way is what it's called. So what I want you to do is, after this concludes today, just look that song up, and, and then just listen to the lyrics and let it minister to you. Even sing along with it, if you will. And I believe it's going to help some of you get through this very difficult time that we're all finding ourselves in. God will make a way where there was no other way. And I've invited Mary to come up, and, and we're going to try to sing this uh, a cappella briefly. <laughs> well, who said that? I can't tell with a mass. Sounded like John, but he's pointing at Mike. Okay, we just read about that. Yeah, passing the bus. Throwing buck. the other people under the bus. So this begins, and you can see it up behind us, 
God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide, hold me closely to His side. With love and strength for each new day, He will make a way. He will make a way. So Mary, would you mind trying to sing this? And, and, and I'll, I'll keep up with you without actually singing it. If you're at home, what I want you to do, if you can, just sing along with us or just let it minister to you. And, and when, this, when we're done singing it, I'll come back and I'll pray. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, he will make a way. He will make a way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. Thank you, Lord. He will be my, he will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day, He will make a way. He Thank will Jesus. make a way. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me if you're here in the audience? And if you're at home, you know, I just want to, what I wanted to do is, is leave you with uh, the song just in the sense of when you're walking through the store, when you're facing adversity, wherever you're at, and sometimes in the store you do face adversity these days, but I want you to have this, like, music in the back of your head and just remember God will make a way where there was no other way that's what he does when Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden when the devil got the upper hand just for that brief moment he thought he'd won he thought he had the victory ha see what I did God but God was like uh uh you think you, you got me. But from here on, you're going to be cursed. And from here on, you're going to get to taste dust everywhere you go. Adam and Eve, yeah, okay, they're not going to have eternal life anymore. But out of their seed, I'm going to produce someone who's going to take this to a new level. And his name, my son, Jesus He's going to do what nobody else could do. He's going to bring man back into right relationship with me. And that's what He's done for you and me. God made a way where there wasn't... When we're living in those desert places, you just have to remember to look up and say, Jesus! Jesus, help me! 
Jesus, I'm at the end of my rope. Help me. Make a way where there was no other way. Jesus, the road's run out. I don't know where to go. Help me. Make a way where there was no other way. Lord, I lean on you today. I trust that you're going you're gonna to make this dry ground, this desert place, habitable again. You're going to give me life and life in abundance. That's what God wants to do with you. When this happened in the Garden of Eden, yes, it looked like we lost, but honestly, we didn't. But there was a long stretch of history that happened between that event and when Jesus came. And there's another long stretch of history between when Jesus came and where we're at today. God's influencing all of it. He didn't just leave us. He's working on your behalf right now. And it may not seem like it, but He is. Maybe you've lost a loved one to COVID. God's still working on your behalf. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Norm, I just feel like it's hopeless. I just want you to know that Christmas, it's not about the presence. It's about His presence. It's not about all the gifts and the hoorahs. It's about the life He wants to give you. And maybe you're a believer and you've just struggled and struggled and struggled through this thing and you're having trouble still believing. I want to tell you today, God will make a way where there was no other way. Don't give up the faith. Don't do it. You stay fastened on Him. You, you get your book out, the Bible, your sword, and you read this. Let it minister to you. You ask your friends for prayer. You call the church for prayer. We'll pray with you. Nobody should be alone right now. Nobody. So if that's you, don't be alone. Find some people, call them, call us. We're here for you. And we'll show you. God will make a way where there was no other way. Would you bow your heads and hearts just for a moment? Father, we thank you again for what you're doing here at the Hope in Gaylord, Michigan. And I pray for everyone that's here on the other end of this camera and those who are in this audience today that they would just sense, Lord, that you're doing a new thing in them. Even yesterday is no more. Today is a new day where new things will happen as a result of our faith in you. And Lord, I pray for those who are struggling that you would encourage them in their spirit. That you would help them, Lord, to see that you are a way maker. Lord, that you can take anything they've been through and turn that around for the good of those who love you. I believe that with all my heart. Whether that's that one that was abused as a little girl who struggles every day thinking about that moment, Lord, you can take that past and turn that into a beautiful thing through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray for that person, Lord, that you would bring healing 
and strength to their lives. And Lord, again, if there are any out there today who just need to say yes to you, let this be the day for their new life. Lord, I pray for each one. If, if that's you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, I challenge you today, give God a chance. Let Him move in your life. I did, and it changed me. And if you need that kind of uh, love in your life, just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. And let Him do what only He can do. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Sing this song that, by Don Moen. God will make a way. When we're, when we're done here, when we hang up, or whatever you call it, when we end. <laughs> Father, I pray for everyone listening that this would be the beginning, not the end, of something beautiful and new in their lives. Lord, we commit our people into your hands today. We pray that we would be a light on this hill, Lord, that, that those in the darkness would see it and be drawn to it. And that we would emulate Jesus in our lives so that people would have hope. Lord, we love you. And, and as we look again, even ahead at Christmas, I pray, Lord, it'd be a miraculous time for people as they tune in. That they would find the miracle of Christ in their lives. And again, that the past would be just that, the past. And you would begin to do that new thing in them that only you can do. We love you, Lord, and we commit all our people into your loving embrace. Again, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So next week, I'm going to come back to this and we're going to look at the predictions that were made in the Old Testament. I'm going to share some statistics that are going to blow you away. How many different places in the Old Testament refers to Jesus coming? You're going to be amazed. So come on back next Sunday. We love you. God bless you. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon.